The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Initiative, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Welcome to the Avengers Initiative, Falcon and Winter Soldier, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. Poppy Chula Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Monday, April 5th, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on Disney Plus's The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Please welcome my co-host, Professor X. I really think... I'm invaluable. You are. That's why you're the only one here, besides myself. So let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 3, which was titled Power Broker and aired April 2nd and debuted April 2nd, 2021 via Disney+. Plus. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Sam and Bucky go to a criminal safe haven to find information about the super soldier serum. It's a tiny sentence. I felt like I should drag it out. Okay. So that was a very good, um, Z- uh, yes, uh, Zemo, uh, Baron, fantastic. Um, I, I feel like you missed your calling of playing that character, Professor. Uh, I'm well. I'm holding out until they offer me Doom. Oh yes, well you know, that is a good role too. Yeah, because you can only play one character. Well, I guess you know they they have been able to play multiple. But uh, yeah, no, until they offer me Doom, I'm uh, I'm staying out of the uh, the MCU. Okay, well, that sounds appropriate. All right, so we're going to start casting. But what are you going to do? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to start off in a very weird place because it was a teeny tiny storyline. She was on her own, Morgenthau. Island, but we're going to talk about Carly because we did have two interesting um, plot developments for her in this episode. It was weird because, like, we had this whole you know, we were painting with the sympathetic paintbrush, and it looks like that paintbrush broke because the, the sympathy disappeared by the end of the episode when you just start killing people in cold blood. So the two main plot developments for Carly in this episode was that we were introduced to, I'm guessing that is her mother. If it's not her mother, it's clearly a mentor type of figure. And uh, we learned that uh, she she has tuberculosis, this uh, mother figure, and, um, and she dies. We also learn a little bit about Carly's backstory. She wanted to be a teacher. She ended up displaced in uh, Madripoor, you know, after the blip and that sort of thing. And uh, we basically get a clarification as to what happened. She stole the super soldier serum. She plans on dispersing it to the kids at these uh, um, sort of refugee camps. 
and uh, we saw her Flag Smasher crew steal from the GRC, and uh, this time around, not only stealing from them, but actually killing the guards and uh, maybe even the personnel that were at the GRC uh, uh, depot, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, kaboom, is what happened to them, yeah, much to... Uh, the the uh, disapproval of one of her smashies. We also got a commercial for the GRC, so I'll throw that in here because uh, we we sort of uh, deal with them. So, Professor, your take on Carly, uh, Carly going from sympathetic to maybe not so, and also the GRC commercial. Uh, which was an interesting way to start the episode. I mean, we've seen commercials before on these Disney Plus MCU shows. This wasn't that type of commercial, um, but it was still a, a, an inch, a commercial and an interesting way to start the episode. It was interesting, and I think if you had any lingering doubts about whether the GRC was evil, uh, that sort of blandly corporate commercial to open up things uh, was a brilliant way to do it. You know, it's just sort of visual shorthand to show you that this is one of those organizations that, you know, mouths all the appropriate terms, but is probably quite evil at its heart. And then what do they cut to in the very next scene? A GRC van pulls up. And who steps out? Captain America. Uh, and Captain America did mention, you know, in the last episode uh, that, uh, you know, they were funded by the GRC. So, again, this is just, you know, establishing the idea. I did think it was interesting because so we have that off the top um, and we have reason to to question the GRC. But we have talked about uh, the show seemed to be bending over backwards to humanize uh, Carly and the Flag Smashers to show them as as not necessarily evil, but as, you know, maybe working outside the law like Robin Hood's, as was suggested, uh, you know, towards a uh, an end that most of us would consider a good end, helping people who need help. Uh, that's why it was very interesting. They made that twist that you mentioned at the end. And, and really, up until that point, everything we'd seen had been the same sort of version of the Flag Smashers, the very humanized. We saw Carly, uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, mourning beside the uh, the bed of the woman who was dying. We saw her comforting a child. We saw her playing soccer with some kids. Very humanizing, very humanizing. And then at the end, uh, and even then, she was, you know, telling the, the guy in the car with her, put your seatbelt on, put your seatbelt on now, because she knew the bomb was going to go off, which apparently none of the other Flag Smashers knew. So it's an interesting twist for her. She's going a bit darker. Now, is is that because of the death of this mother figure or is it just, you know, her being pushed further and further uh, into acts that, uh, you know, are, are harder to excuse? I don't know. I do love the way the actress is playing it. But I think, you know, choosing to end the episode like that was great because, uh, well, I guess that's not really how we ended the episode. Uh, but uh, I thought it was good because it does sort of, you know, ramp up. Because we had speculated last week, you know, are the Flag Smashers really going to be the baddies? Are, are they going to end up working with our heroes uh, against the GRC? I think that's kind of off the table after what Carly does at the end of this episode. And, um, I, you know, it's, it's interesting, too, like, because, you know, as we'll talk about when Zemo mentions he's looking forward to meeting Carly, uh, you know, it, it'll be a very different Carly that he meets uh, compared to who we've seen for the past uh, couple of episodes. So I, I thought it was a very interesting choice to do, a very uh, fun choice to do, uh, you know, sort of establishing that, you know, uh, this is not a, a, a feel good uh, organization. You know, uh, many of them are. You know, I think it, it's kind of interesting, too, that what happens when you have an organization that is ostensibly doing good in air quotes uh but its leader is bad um 
yeah, so I thought it was you know a very strong uh, you know uh, twist on her character. It doesn't seem to have been justified by what we've seen of her character up to that point. But again, if you're arguing that, and even you know her her friend said to her, you know, we don't have to do this right now. Do you want me to take some time to grieve? So maybe it's grief pushing her to do that. But it's one of those things that you can't really. There's no redemption arc. Uh, for her, I think, beyond that point. She can have some partial redemption, perhaps, but I, I very much doubt that, you know, she can come out of this uh, this series anymore. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, upon rewatch, there is a moment where uh, where her friend, his name is Dovich, he's like, you know, maybe after all this, you know, you can still be a teacher. And she's kind of like, I noticed it upon the, the, the second rewatch, you know, after seeing that she makes the kaboom, she's like, um, yeah, uh, sure. And I'm like, oh, shit, like, it's because she knows she's going to kaboom the whole damn place and she knows she's not going to be able to go come back from that. She's not going to be like a teacher. You know, I don't know. I still have no idea what she thinks she's going to do. But, yeah, once you start killing people, I mean, it, it's different if you're playing Robin Hood, but now you're actually murking people. Like, I feel like that's kind of difficult for the world to sort of, you know, see you as a good person, you know, after all this happens. Yeah, it, it was interesting. The, the turn, I think, was needed just because we only have three episodes left. It's like the halfway point, literally, in the series. We're in the middle of it right now. And um, it, it makes the most sense that if she's going to, you know, veer into a villainous type of, uh, veer into that direction, the villainous direction, like it's, it should happen now. And it did. Uh, whether they stick to that or, you know if it's going to be sort of like the enemy of my enemy and, and, and there will be a team up between, you know, Falcon winter soldier and flag smashers. We're going to have to wait and see um, at the end of the day what the flag smashers are doing for the most part is still good. I have no idea where the super soldier thing is going though. Uh, we just got a taste of that in this episode. Um, uh, yeah. Whether, uh, yeah, I don't know what her plan is, so I hope that we get some exposition in the next episode about exactly what Carly plans to do and why she wants to give the kids the super soldier serum. Um, as we learned in this episode, um, in, in the other storyline, there were only 20 vials, and um, we've seen a handful of people with her, at least five, six, maybe seven, that I would assume all have the super soldier serum. So that leaves maybe 15, maybe 10 to 15 vials. Um, we don't know what it means if you only give half a vial or even, you know, or, you know, I would assume you have to take the whole vial. So hopefully they explain all of that in the next episode. Uh, but uh, it was an interesting turn for Carly in this one. So let's move things right along and uh, we left the last episode with um, Sam and Bucky realizing that they have to go see Zemo. Uh, Sam is still kind of not really down for the cause but uh, Bucky says he's the only way to do it. It's the only way to go. He's the only person that knows about Hydra and so obsessed with Hydra that he would have potentially the answers that we need and uh, he's the one that goes by himself, Bucky, to see Zemo and uh, he basically helps Zemo escape the uh, prison that he's in, much to Sam's chagrin. 
Professor, let's talk about the breakout scene. Let's talk about Bucky meeting Zemo. Let's talk about Sam's reaction. And let's also talk about the fact that I don't think this is retconning. A lot of people on, online were like, oh, they retconned Zemo to give him more comic book accurate backstory. We didn't really know much of Zemo in uh, Civil War. Like, we were just sort of introduced to him as a man who had uh, experienced extreme loss. It's not like we had real flashbacks or anything to Zemo. So I don't really think they retconned. I just feel like they expanded upon his backstory. You know, the fact that they gave him the Baron moniker, that he has wealth, and he explained uh, that he was, in essence, royalty uh, before, um, you know, everything went to poop in um, uh, Sokovia. So, Professor, talk to me about the reintroduction to Zemo and his prison break. Well, great reintroduction, you know, establishing the fact that he is a mastermind. You know, he'd obviously planned all the steps necessary for his escape. He just needed, you know, that one little element. On second viewing, you know, and, and again, it seemed like a very well laid out plan. It worked out tremendously. The only problem with it is how did he first get out of his cell? Every step beyond that is fine, made perfect sense, but there was never showing him actually getting out of that cell um, to then, you know, get the uh, guard's costume and, and work his way out and all of that stuff. So that was the one thing in retrospect that, that kind of bugged me about it because he is that dangerous. You would think that, you know, they would keep that door locked. There was there was no justification given for the unlocking of it because the fire alarm uh, Zemo was the one who pulled the fire alarm after he already gotten out of his cell. Having said that, I did love the way it was done. The fact that Zemo had worked everything out in advance and just needed the one one little bit of help from some outside person, um, and you know probably could have you know could theoretically have escaped at any time. Uh, but you know he now has his motivation to escape, which is his hatred for the super soldiers and his hatred for supers in general. Um, so I really like the reintroduction. It, it gives you that real sense that you know we we talked you know before about him. Uh, you know he's he's not someone who has powers. He's someone he's not even you know a megalomaniacal genius who's you know inventing death traps and contraptions and stuff like that. He's a tactical planner. He's a thinker. And uh, I agree with you. I don't think it was retconning at all. I think it was just that you know he was introduced as you know, uh, a fairly anonymous person, uh, you know, uh, doing that and, you know, to to just fill out his backstory, I don't think is, is retconning at all. It's not contradicting anything we heard of him in Civil War. So I think it it fits entirely. And yes, and it, it also solves a little bit of a um, what would otherwise have been a problem, which is by making him rich. Uh, you know, that means that, you know, they can travel anywhere on his dime, whereas otherwise, how would you know, Sam and Bucky and him get to Madripoor and go to Riga and, and all of those things. So they're not just using his contacts, but using his money, um, I think, you know, is, is a good little storytelling trick as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, yeah, it was great to see Zemo. Uh, Daniel Brawl is fantastic as the character. Playing him differently this time around because he, he's almost there kind of as a foil to Sam and Bucky, um, he was very subservient to them, 
in this episode, which was kind of interesting because I, I feel like Zemo is the type of person that is playing like 3D chess with people while everyone else is playing checkers. So I, I do wonder if a lot of what he was sort of saying, the bits of uh, shade and poking of the bear that he was doing throughout the entire episode, it was on purpose because he has a greater plan what that plan is we'll probably find out once they present it on the screen and then we'll look back at everything and be like oh so that's what he was doing but uh it's he's interesting um i also know from just the brief reading that i've that i've done about the character apparently in the comics he uh does end up turning good-ish maybe not good-ish but uh, he's uh a reformed baddie and ends up running something called the Thunderbolts. I don't know if that's what they're going to do with the character. It's an interesting concept because it's basically a superhero team of reformed baddies. And uh, that sounds like an interesting Disney Plus series, if I do say so myself. Yeah, I mean, sort of, you know, uh, if Marvel wants to dip its toe into the Suicide Squad waters, uh, that would give them a way of doing that. Um, but, yeah, I think Daniel Bruhl is, is something that we've been missing from the first two episodes of uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is the charismatic villain. You know, uh, we've always said, you know, you're only as good as your villain. And, uh, you know, um, the fact that, you know, and not overtly villainous, you know, somewhat helpful in this case, but still, obviously, with his, you know, uh, very dangerous tendencies. Uh, I think that really, you know, was an important element in this episode that had been missing uh, in the first two, uh, you know, and, you know, they, he managed to uh, establish himself as potentially a credible threat, but also a, an extremely valuable ally, you know, depending on what mood takes him. And I really like that, uh, that characterization of him uh, and just his exchanges with uh, with Sam and Bucky uh, were tremendous. He's just this relaxed, confident obviously very intelligent guy um but he's not you know uh an intelligent in in the sort of comic book way of you know the uh the evil supervillain who has to rub your nose in it he's just someone who you know uh is is you know he's up and uh, there's obviously elements of manipulation and stuff like that he's he's constantly testing people pushing them um and i think daniel Bruhl's playing doing a great job of playing someone who is obviously thinking about everything he does you know nothing that he does is uh um for no reason and i think that's that's very effectively done and and you know it, it's a great addition and yeah again if, if they wanted to bring back daniel Bruhl as uh as for thunderbolts or something like that uh, i think he'd be a great choice he's, he's just you know a, a great charismatic nuanced uh character 100 percent, yes and uh in this episode, we had just a small line about Yori. And, uh, you know, we hadn't heard about Yori in the previous episode. So this is the first episode since the premiere that uh, we, we heard a Yori mention. It was when, um, when Zemo had uh, taken uh, Bucky's little book, which, it was oddly enough, we had discussed in the premiere, you know, oh, you know... Remember, Cap has that same book, and it turns out it is Cap's book. It's the one with, uh, you know, the book that he had, he would written, taken notes of, um, you know, pop culture type of stuff that it, uh, he should catch up on. So that's the same little notebook that Bucky's using as his um, apology notebook. Um, so there was a Yori shout-out. 
Um, clearly, this is something that I, I'm assuming we're, we'll be have to we will have to deal with uh, before the series ends. So I just wanted to make a little note about that. So, Professor, do you have your passport ready? Ah, uh, yes, I do. Okay, because we're heading to Madripoor, which the internet Although went crazy. I'm guessing you can fly into Madripoor without needing a passport. They didn't seem like they had, you know, rigid border controls. Well, there is that. Uh, yeah, the internet went crazy with Madripoor because there's a, a sort, a, sort of like an X-Men type of connection, uh, even a little bar that we saw the sign for. Uh, everyone went nuts for it online, which was uh, very exciting. So we're going to travel to Madripoor, where, uh, you know, because uh, Zemo feels like uh, that's where uh, he's, he, he has a contact in Lowtown, not Hightown, where, you know, where her name is Selby, and, and he'll be able to gather information about the super soldier serum. There's like this whole thing which we will be talking about, where, uh, you know, Bucky has to get into his Winter Soldier persona, Sam takes on the identity of uh, Smiling Tiger, which is an actual comic book character. Spectacular. Uh, there's this whole thing where he has to drink. I have no idea what part of the snake that was, but it was fascinating. But they do end up getting the meeting with Selby, Selby ends up revealing that the power broker had hired a former Hydra scientist, Wilfred Nagel, to recreate the super soldier serum. Those were the breadcrumbs she was going to give for free. She was not, she, she basically wanted payment for more information. But before anything could happen, Sam ends up getting a phone call from his sister, Sarah, she he is forced to put the call on speakerphone his identity is revealed there is a shootout and all of a sudden when when uh, selby dies there is a bounty on uh, uh sam bucky and uh zemo they end up getting saved by sharon carter but we will stop right here because i have a whole bunch of questions about sharon Carter. So, Professor, let's talk about our initial visit to Madripoor. The, uh, just everything leading up to Sharon saving the day. You know what? It was really well done. Um, you know, uh, you know, uh, Sam, you know, did an, a nice job of, of playing Smiling Tiger, you know, sort of playing it, you know, slightly for laughs of us watching it, you know, at home uh, without going over the top. Um, you know, the scene where, you know, Bucky snapped into action, uh, where, you know, uh, Zemo is, is remaining in tr control. And, you know, again, you know, you're, you are getting against the subtlety of Daniel Brühl's performance is that, you know, this is, you know, Zemo is riding a tiger here, not necessarily a smiling tiger, but he knows that, you know, if they are made, if they don't play their roles uh you know they're all in tremendous uh trouble as proves to be the case as soon as uh sam makes the rookie mistake of not putting his phone on airplane mode um that said they did a great job of ratcheting up tension in that scene because his phone goes off and then you know put it on put it on speakerphone and then it sounds like he's getting away with it even up to the point where you know uh sarah is talking about the cheerios but then she says sam and, you know, it was really, really, and the music too, it's sort of got like this ticking clock thing going on. Um, you know, uh, everything really worked to rash up tension. Then from out of nowhere, this gunshot uh, takes out Selby, which is a shame. Selby was a fun, fun character. Uh, would love to have, you know, seen more of her uh, in this series. You know, just, uh, you know, uh, a great uh, villainous foil uh, for the uh, 
the characters. But no, I thought they did a great job of setting up the tension. Uh, you know, uh, Zemo, uh, you know, um, you know, using the uh, the threat of the Winter Soldier to, to get the access that he wanted. Um, and uh, yeah, just really, uh, you know, very effectively done. And, you know, as, as I said, great payoff uh, with that phone scene, which was surprisingly tense. And, uh, and part of the tension was, you know, it starts out tense and then you think, oh, he's getting away with it. He's getting away with it. Oh no. She called him Sam. Um, now, having said that again, just in terms of the convenience thing, uh, you know, Selby, you know, basically within, you know, what, three seconds of Selby, making Sam she's shot. So that was pretty quick for whoever was uh, watching from, you know, wherever that sniper was um, to know exactly what was going on. And equally quick was how quickly the, uh, the bounty was put out uh, on the people who killed Selby. Um, so that's a little convenient. Now there, a lot of stuff in the episode was a bit rushed. So I don't know whether there's a reason for it or whether it was just, you know, uh, for reasons of, of moving the narrative forward in this episode. But, you know, I thought it was very effective, but again, looking back on it in hindsight, it's like, hmm, that all happened a bit conveniently. I'm glad you mentioned that because I did have a question about who killed Selby. Because I think upon like my initial watch, like I, I assumed in my head it was Sharon because Sharon, you know, was saving the day and saving her friends. I mean, we saw the, you know, the side profile of her in the bar. So she knew they were there. And initially I thought it was her, but upon rewatching, upon listening to the dialogue, dialogue a little bit more, Sharon basically confirms that it wasn't her in the episode. She's like, you know, she said something like, you know, they killed Selby or something like that. So, who killed Selby? Do you have a theory? Do you think it was just the power broker realizing that, uh, you know, Selby had spilled the tea, basically, and uh, the power broker, whomever the power broker is, did not like that? I mean, we did have that graffiti on the wall, the power broker is always watching or something like that. I think that does make sense. It's equally possible. I, I agree with you. I don't think it was Sharon. Um, you know, we'll, 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 we may as well jump into Sharon right now because, you know, it, the obvious thing in, you know, in, in the, the coming scene where, you know, uh, you know, the uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier and Zemo are trying to escape and, you know, there's a sniper takes down, you know, a couple of the cops. Um, you know, you're obviously some show oh, that must have been Sharon, but there's no way that could have worked. It, you know, from her to have shot them from the sniper position and get down to street level holding a handgun doesn't make sense unless Sharon is working as part of a larger organization, which I'm sure we'll talk about as we continue to talk about Sharon. See, that's interesting because I always assumed that that was Sharon on the snipers. But now that you're saying that, that does that's make what I sense. thought on first watching, but watching it this time, uh, she was abs- she was down there on street level. And honestly, if you're looking at where the shots came from, it looks like the shots came from like an, the upper store of a building, you know, on the opposite side of the street. So Sharon would have had to, put down her gun, run down, cross the street, and then step in front of them, which I just don't buy. I I think it's much more likely, especially given what we see with Sharon uh, uh, at the end of her arc, that she's part of a larger organization. Yeah, that is true. There were two different angles. You're right on that. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Very interesting. Um, yeah, they're doing something interesting with Sharon Carter. Uh, before we dip into her, I, I just wanted to co-sign everything because Anthony Mackie was fantastic in the bar. So good. I was a little worried because there were there were like two moments where he did break the Smiling Tiger character, and I hoped that wasn't going to get them in trouble when he touched Bucky's arm. And then after the whole ordeal when they were 
moving into uh, moving into the direction of, of going to she- to Selby, not Shelby, Selby. Uh, he goes, "You okay?" And I was like, "I I hope no one caught that, um, but it, it wasn't, so that was good." Um, the little bits of information that we got about the power broker that uh, the power broker is in charge of uh, Madripoor. Uh, that was fascinating. Uh, we had a lot of sort of um, just really elevating the power broker into uh, a a very powerful character in this episode, uh, which, uh, you know, hopefully has a really good payoff once we're introduced to the character. So let's talk about Sharon. So Sharon saves the day. And uh, we learn that uh, she has been uh, down on her luck, at least for a moment, uh, after everything that happened in Civil War. She's been on the run. She hasn't spoken to her family. But uh, she figured if she was going to have to hustle, she should live the life of a hustler. So she is in Madripoor. She cannot be uh, extradited to the United States. She has... um, developed a career in uh, high art uh, as a sort of art dealer of real um, classics. And uh, she has a swanky pad in Hightown. She is throwing a party for art collectors and that sort of thing, and that's where she was going to gain intel on this Dr. Nagel. We learned that she... um, her, I would say her personality has changed. It's her life has hardened her a little bit, and she kind of is very flippant about uh, sort of like Captain America being a hero, the shield, and that sort of thing. But uh, Sam does convince her to help by not offering her offering her charity, but by offering her a deal. She will get a full pardon if she helps them in their quest for Nagel, which she does accept. So, Professor, what's your take on this iteration of Sharon Carter? I will say personally, I was just a little sad that they hardened her character in this sort of way. Uh, just because, you know, she was just this good, you know, fighting for truth, justice, and the American way type of character in the times that we've seen her. So seeing her kind of as this jaded character, um, just maybe a little sad inside. But uh, I am excited to see where they're taking the character. Um, I was just sort of, uh, you know, when... when um, who was it? It was Bucky was like, you know, she's mean or whatever or something. I was like, you know what? She kind of is. But Emily Van Camp still played her um, in a very interesting sort of way that I liked, even though I was maybe a little, there was a part of me that was a little disappointed that they went this route with Sharon. Although, I mean, it does make sense, to be quite honest. Well, they did give her a good justification for it, as she said in that, you know, uh, famous line, I I got the wings for your ass to save his ass from his ass, gesturing with the gun each time. Um, And then explaining, you know, what happened to her again, a constant, you know, we don't spend as much time dealing with the consequences, even though, you know, in Civil War, it was said, you know, before she started making out with her uncle. Again, let's not forget that people. We don't know Um, that officially. 
it could. I know. I'm just throwing that for all those people who say that Steve went back in time in our timeline and was hidden because we never saw the picture of Sharon's husband. Yes. Um, no, there are people that do think yes. that. But we have to. Uh, yes. Well, for those people, uh, the I, branching timelines. Hello. Yes. I think they gave her a perfectly adequate justification for it. Um, and I think Emily Van Camp played that very well. Uh, however, uh, I don't think that's the case. I think this is, uh, you know, remember who Sharon Carter was. You know, in the comics, she's, she's Agent 13. She's one of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s best operatives. I think she's under a, a deep cover thing. I think there's got to be some sort of S.H.I.E.L.D. replacement, uh, you know, some sort of organization, uh, whether governmental or extra-governmental or whatever, uh, that is doing the same sort of thing that S.H.I.E.L.D. did before. And and I think that she's, you know, still an agent working for someone. Uh, I don't believe she's set up as a freelancer like she claimed. Uh, and, and certainly we got the payoff of that at the end, you know, where she she meets an associate, uh, which again sets up the idea that, you know, there was the other. Otherwise, it's, it's just, it's too convenient. The fact that she just happened to be in the bar when Zemo and the other guys showed up and she happened to shoot Selby and she happened to shoot the other people. And she just happened to know this is, this has all the hallmarks of a shield type organization, uh, you know, running things behind the scenes, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to achieve its own ends. Uh, could it be the, uh, the, the, the GRC might doubt it, but maybe, um, uh, but yeah, I, I think she's uh, I think she's playing a role because she's a, a trained shield operative and they're trained to do that. But when she's talking with uh, with Bucky and Sam, uh, I think everything she says is is a perfectly valid cover story. But I just don't buy it again, given Sharon's character that we've seen in the previous episodes. And again, they're free to change her character. They're free to wreck on her character, whatever. But you remember when she was talking about uh, uh, about. Um, oh, Peggy. Uh, you know, and the importance of her aunt in her life and, and the things her aunt taught her. I, I don't see uh, Sharon Carter, Agent 13, turning her back on that. I think she's still fighting the good fight in her own way. But she is, you know, has this cover of uh, of being a um, uh, a freelancer, a rogue operative. But I, I still think she's she's firmly on the side of the angels. I hope so. I do like that explanation. And it would be kind of neat if Sharon Carter is a part of the resurgence of S.H.I.E.L.D. It would be, I think, just appropriate to based off of her, her aunt being the, um, the founder of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, that would be kind of dope. So hopefully it is S.H.I.E.L.D. that she's working with, and it's her trying to pick up the pieces and uh, to bring it back maybe stronger and, and better than it was before when it was uh, infested with HYDRA. Um, okay, so let's continue on specifically with Sharon, because Sharon does, you know, end up getting the information. She ends up taking the guys to find Nagel. Uh, Sharon gets one of the, I would say, best fight sequences that we've ever gotten in the MCU. I would say, period. It was brutal. It wasn't bloody, because I think the, once you get all the blood and stuff, that's what leads it to rated R territory. Um, so I think they're trying to hold on to that TV-14 rating, even though they're dropping shit everywhere. Not literally, but they're saying the word like all the damn time. I guess you can get away with saying shit so many times uh, in TV-14. Um, but yeah, she 
she murks everybody. Like she's there's stabations, there's shootations. She's using people as meat shields uh, for bullets. I mean, it was spectacular. She ends up saving their asses. Uh, Zemo ends up saving them even more. We're going to get onto that side of the the coin momentarily, but continuing on with Sharon, she does have that clandestine. Uh, meeting, well, it wasn't really a meeting, but she ends up getting picked up after the guys leave uh, in a car, and she's with an agent-y type of person, and she's basically like, you know, we had a situation, we got a couple problems, I'll fill you in. So, as you said, Professor, she's clearly working with someone, maybe she's in charge of something, or she's uh, undercover, she's doing something, clearly. For whatever reason, and Professor, clever your ears, because I don't feel like you really actually want to hear this, but for whatever reason, the internet has a theory. I can't even believe I'm going to say this, because it's ridiculous. But the internet has a theory that Sharon Carter is the power broker. Based off, I guess, the last scene, I... I just felt I had to say it. Because well, that's silly because obviously Sharon Carter is Mephisto. Well, there is that. Yes. She is. But, uh, or a scroll. Because everybody's a scroll nowadays. Um, yeah. So, okay. I do like your theory, though, that she's working with a S.H.I.E.L.D. type of organization. That does make sense with that very final scene. Can we talk about how badass Emily Van Camp was, though? Professor? Oh, definitely. And just before I forget to mention it, one thing about that is, you know, at that closing scene, you know, when she's meeting with, you know, who I'm assuming is another operative and she says, we've got a couple of problems. She doesn't get in the front seat of the car with her. She gets in the back seat of the car. The sort of person, the sort of place that a Nick Fury would go when being driven somewhere by a lower agent. That's why I think she's part of an, and again, that does fit just as well with the idea that it's power broker, but the other stuff, yeah, I don't think fits as well. Uh, now, I think you can make a, a perfectly valid argument that, you know, if she was the power broker and knew that Selby had sold her out, so she killed Selby, uh, and then she was, uh, you know, manipulating them. But I, I don't think it would make any sense for her as the power broker to tell them where to find Nagel and get Nagel's lab blown up when the power broker presumably wants Nagel to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, I don't think that makes a lot of sense unless the whole thing, you know, blew up quite literally more than she was expecting. Uh, getting back to your topic, yes. Wait, yes, we can also just make very... wait, Professor. Just before you go, because I want to add up to put a button on Sharon, the power broker. Uh, I don't. Come on, everybody. Like Sharon Carter, she's related to Peggy Carter, who was involved with Steve Rogers. There's no way in hell, even if you're going to buy her story that she is anti stars and stripes and she doesn't believe in all that hero shit. I still can't believe that a Carter that's related to Peggy Carter would ever bring back the super soldier serum after everything that happened to Steve and Hydra and all that kind of stuff. It just seems in my mind ridiculous that Sharon Carter, if she were the power broker would want the super soldier serum to be created again. It just, it seems nuts to me. 
All right. I just wanted to put that point out there well, as say, a button to it. You say there's no way in hell she would, but you know who would in hell? <laughs> okay. If he's cool. But anyway. Yes. Um, no, but uh, yes, uh, game back to fight scenes. You know, uh, the fight scenes, you know, generally we didn't have these sort of set piece action scenes that we've gotten from the first two episodes. You know, this was a, a more gritty down to earth. You know, the fight scenes were, were very different. Uh, you know, they felt a little bit, frankly, more like a TV show, less like a movie. Uh, the fight scenes. Um, I don't know how much of it Emily Van Camp did herself. There were some scenes where I see her face there were other scenes where she was wearing the hood and that could have been a stunt person uh but uh, yeah just the uh the, the close-up shooting of it the the fast cutting of it the grittiness of it really gave you a sense for you know the violence that was involved and the fact that you know you'd have this action scene and then the next scene you would see uh you know sharon and she had you know cuts and stuff like that she was showing the the effect of the fight so yes she was a total badass and a great fighter but she wasn't you know superhuman or or getting away with stuff you know in a way that seemed unrealistic so so, uh, again, a very gritty, uh, you know, uh, version of the fight scene, not unlike, you know, the, the very brief fight scene that uh, that Bucky had in the bar. It was, uh, you know, not a lot of superpowers or anything like that, just sort of, you know, uh, down home and brutal. Uh, so I did like that. I, I really liked how uh, Emily Van Camp uh, played it throughout. Uh, always you know, been a fan of Emily Van Camp. Good Canadian girl. Um, but, oh, yeah, really? and I, I do know that there were some of the scenes, some of the fight scenes she did herself. I don't know how much she did. Uh, but uh, uh, and again. You know how much you know they could have you know done face swapping and stuff like that, but it seemed to me very, uh, very gritty and realistic. And you know, so while you've got the the tense scene happening within the shipping container, uh, you've got her trying to keep all these bounty hunters at bay. And again, if she was the power broker, couldn't she have just said, "Hey, forget the uh, that"? Because if she was the power broker, she's literally putting herself at risk of being killed on a bounty that she put out herself. That doesn't make any sense. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the whole Sharon is the power broker kind of just. We shredded that. Um, Emily Van Camp. I had no idea she was Canadian. Uh, I have enjoyed Emily Van Camp for a long time as well. She was on Brothers and Sisters. But uh, Revenge was the series that, you know, she was just phenomenal in that. And, um, yeah, so her, you know, having been on Revenge and playing sort of like a an, an Agent 13 in this that, uh, you know, has a secret agenda... It makes sense. I, I really like that idea. I hope that we have a very good payoff with that as the series progresses. Um, it's a little sad that it's episode three and we're just getting Sharon Carter. Uh, I don't know when we're going to see her again. I hope she pops up at least a couple more times before the series wraps. But um, yeah, she was fantastic props to emily van camp and her stunt person because that was a wonderfully choreographed brutal fight so while aaron well aaron carter sorry just um Uh one thing i want to mention so another element for my idea why you know um sharon is part of a you know a beneficial organization is that you know for this season to wrap up you know, because, uh, you know, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier are extra governmental right now. They have broken Zemo out of jail. They have to have a Nick Fury type of character to step in and fix things at the end. Because even if they're successful in taking down the super soldiers and everything like that, they're still in tremendous trouble for the things that they've done. So I think you have to have her as a figure like that to step in. And, you know, she's the new head of shield or whatever organization has replaced shield. Um, I think you have to have someone to, uh, to grease the wheels of, of getting them back into their lives after this thing is wrapped up. That is true. That is true. 100%. 
So let's talk about what was going down while Sharon was saving their asses from the bounties. Uh, so they, they are in a shipping yard, and they go into one of the containers, and there is a secret lab in there, and that's where we meet Dr. Nagel. And um, he ends up dying. We had two characters with a lot of intel that ended up dying in this episode. That was very obvious, and it was a little disappointing. But he did drop some interesting exposition. Basically, he, uh, you know, he was... He was working with Hydra, but then he was working for the CIA, and they were wanting him to reproduce the super soldier serum. He got uh, the uh, blood of uh, an American subject whose body was stabilized, and this, that, or the other. Clearly Isaiah Bradley. And uh, he was able to extract the serum recreate it, you know, find all the compounds and all that kind of stuff, recreate it, and recreate it in a way that you didn't need, you know, that that tube thing that Cap had to go into. It, it did not give the people the souped-up physiques. It was, as he said, it was perfect. And he created 20 vials. Carly, well, uh, I should say, um, he was blipped. So, um, you know, he couldn't continue on with his research. Uh, when he came back, the CIA was no longer, it like had shuttered the program and that sort of thing. So he went to Madripoor. The power broker funded the research. He was able to create 20 vials. Carly stole the vials. Um, he also dropped the intel about the woman that um, Carly was concerned about that was, that was sick with tuberculosis. And then Zemo ends up killing him and they they get under fire from all of the rest of the bounty people zemo ends up putting on his mask and ends up murking people and uh yeah and they end up the guys end up leaving and um sam ends up calling torres who provides them the information of where the woman is and so that's where they go to next which we will pause right here because there's a surprise at the end, which we will be talking about momentarily. So let's talk about how what they did with Nagel. He gave us a lot of exposition, a lot of information that we needed to know. It explained everything that we needed to know about the super soldier serum and why it is in effect now. It was very disappointing that they killed him as well. Much like when they killed Selby and you express your disappointment in killing Selby because Selby was fascinating. Um, it, I was just like, ooh, they're tying up all these loose ends. It feels like what they want to do by the end of the series is to have the super soldier serum eliminated. And so they're, they're like starting to get rid of like everything in, in, in essence that ties them to, ties the, the narrative to the super soldier serum. And, uh, it's kind of a little disappointing for me, at least professor. I don't know if you have the same qualms about it. No, I disagree with you completely. I said last episode when we were talking about this that you have to get rid of the super soldier serum. You, you can't have people running around being Captain America. They have to kill the people who've already received it, and they have to ensure that they're not being made. Because, again, otherwise we're dealing – I think we talked about uh, last week, we were talking about um, uh, the character in The Incredibles who said when everyone's a super, no one's a super. Um, yeah. So if you do have someone who's just making new Captain Americas more or less at will, as soon as they introduced that, it was like this is obviously Chekhov's gun. Uh, they have to get rid of. So I was not at all bothered uh, by Nagel's death. And I think they tried to present him as, you know, a very 
you know, unsympathetic character, you know, the, the sort of, you know, uh, scientist who, who doesn't care about his, his, uh, his research subjects. You now the fact that, you know, he didn't know anything about Isaiah, how would he, to be fair, it's really more the, the CIA than him. Uh, but I think they, they sort of, you know, uh, the actor who was portraying him portrayed him in, in an unsympathetic way. I don't think we were meant to feel sorry for him or to feel too bad, uh, when Zemo did what he did, which did not take me by surprise in any way, because just like I was saying, you have to get rid of the super soldier serum. Um, everything we know about Zemo is, and as you said, you know, in that uh, uh, that scene in the plane, we were talking about the problem with people like uh, you know, like Steve Rogers, and also tied it into the Red Skull. So you guys are thinking about, you know, you get Super Soldier Serum, and you're Steve Rogers, you're Captain America, yeah, but Johann Schmidt also got it and became the Red Skull. So from his point of view, it was absolutely the thing that he had to do, and uh, and the fact that you know he did it, but then immediately, hey, you know, and then you know did not fight them, you know, gave up the gun, and in fact, as we'll talk about later, showed up to save their asses. Uh, you know, this this is his goal, as uh, as Bucky said earlier, he has his own code. You know, he has what he has to accomplish. He has his goal, which is getting rid of the serum and getting rid of the super soldiers. And he will do whatever is necessary to achieve those goals. And to what extent they, they match up uh, with, uh, with Bucky and Sam makes sense. But yeah, as soon as he said he had managed to successfully recreate it, I thought, well, you got to kill him. Uh, maybe not in this episode, but you've definitely got to kill him. Now, having said that, I do think there's, and again, I don't know if this is a plot hook or if this is something that you know, might get, get us to a reveal later on. So this is a guy who spent his, this is his life's work. He succeeded. He thinks he's a god. Now, somehow, you know, Carly and her team managed to steal the vials from him and administer them to themselves. And yet Carly called him up to ask about a tuberculosis treatment for this mentor figure she knew. Why, you know, unless, you know, and, and again, maybe we're going to find out that Nagel actually is a flag smasher sympathizer and, you know, slipped the, uh, the the serum to them or allowed it to be stolen from them. But I do think that if we don't get some resolution of, uh, of exactly how they got it from him, how they found him, how they got it from him, and, uh, you know, maybe they were test subjects uh, that, uh, you, know, uh, you know, maybe Carly was just, you know, a, uh, you know, a street urchin or something like that in, uh, in Madripoor. And, you know, he used them as test subjects. Um, and, uh, and that's how they got it. Um, I don't know, but I think that is a little bit of a plot hole that we need resolved. Why she would turn to that person of all people for a tuberculosis treatment after she had just stolen his life's work and presumably he wouldn't have been very favorably disposed towards her. Yes. That was a line that bothered me as well. Uh, the first time I heard it and upon the rewatch as well, because it just seemed so strange. And I was like, well, maybe just the, the wording was off because he does talk about her stealing first. And then he ends up saying, well, she did call. So I was wondering like, maybe did she call first and then, you know, because he didn't want to help, that's why she stole the stuff. Like it just, the, the timing and, and the phrasing was weird. And it just seems weird that she would have stolen the uh, super soldier serum from him and then all of a sudden called me like hey can you help this woman like that just seemed off but then even like had she called him first like it just yeah it nothing fits right so it's it's a and it a possible a resolution thing. to that would mm -hmm. be that you know maybe she was you know working in his lab late one night um uh, uh and you know found out that you know this mother figure of hers uh you know was with tuberculosis and asked him about that and he you know gave his asshole response uh you know not my circus not my problem or whatever not my fair not my pig whatever it not is my pig, not my farm um 
Yeah. And, uh, and as a result of that, she, she stole it. Maybe that is the explanation for it, but that is something that was missing uh, from this, uh, this particular episode. Yes, I agree. Yeah. We'll see if we get the answer to that. So let's go from Madripoor to Lithuania. And so, so the guys are there. They're there to uh, research and, and find out where Carly is and that sort of thing. Um, there's a line. This is before they get to Lithuania. But uh, you referenced it. Uh, Zemo is like, I look forward to meeting Carly. So clearly that means um, Zemo's going to kill her. So let's, you know, let's just, you know, write that in our notebook. And uh, we, we see that Bucky, you know, is like, you know, you guys go ahead. I am going to, you know, I'm going to check something out. And he recognizes something. And, uh, you know, he picks it up. We see him move around. He reckon he picks something else up, and uh, he's in an alley. He turns around. He's like, you know, I think you dropped something. And then he turns around. He's like, you know, basically, he's like, I knew, you know, I was expecting you. And uh, we see uh, one of the Dora Milaje. It's Io, and uh, she's like, I want Zemo. So he had uh, he had noticed the uh, Kimoyo beads, which was spectacular. So we had a Wakanda shout out in uh, the previous episode. We had a Wakanda shout out in this episode, actually. Which, to be quite honest, upon rewatch, we should have we should have just realized that Wakanda was going to be searching for uh, Zemo because Sam was like, you know, you know, they're they're mad that we broke him out. Um, yeah, so what did, what did you think, Professor? Did you, the, upon watching it the first time, were you putting that together, or was it a complete and total surprise for you at the end? Because I will say it was a complete and total surprise for me, a pleasant surprise, but a complete and total surprise for me at the end of the episode. Well, as soon as Bucky picked up the beads, I knew it was going to be a Wakandan. I was hoping for Shuri, uh, but Shuri was blipped, as we know. So, you know, she's only been back for, you know, six months time. Um, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, it was great. You know, it was a great reveal when it happened because, you know, they're building to a big reveal. You don't know exactly who it's going to be. Uh, and then you turn it's Io. Um, I, I thought it was uh, was uh, really well done. Um, something that I missed uh, the first time because, you know, I saw the beads and, and assumed they were the, uh, you know, the the one means that we've beads that we've seen before, but usually when we've seen the beads before, they've been completely smooth this time. They have markings on them. So I wasn't sure. Could it have been, you know, something other than that? Um, and, and also how did Bucky notice them? But, you know, watching it uh, the second time with subtitles on, uh, you know, subtitles include, you know, beeping. So there was a little beep that I couldn't hear on my TV the first time I watched it. Uh, but the Bucky picked up. But I, again, sort of as you mentioned, the fact that Sam did say early on that, you know, when, um, uh, when Bucky was talking about breaking Zemo out, you know, reiterating and reminding people about the fact that the Wakandans want this guy dead. And, and, you know, the mention that he, you know, he blew up the UN and killed T'Chaka, you know, reminding us of the stakes and reminding us why Wakanda will be in there. And again, tying back to, you know, even in the first episode when Bucky was mentioning, I had a little piece in Wakanda, 
perhaps this means that he's going to have to do something that will betray Wakanda uh, and, you know, lose that, you know, that that little bit of peace that he had. But he also has the connection to the Wakandan people as the White Wolf, which I think is something that could be explored. Now, the problem is we only have three episodes left. Yes. And there's a lot of stuff that we have to resolve in those three episodes. Um, so I'm kind of thinking to myself at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping maybe they don't wrap everything up with a nice bow. You know, maybe they're thinking second season for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, because there's, there's a lot of stuff, uh, that has to be resolved and a lot of, you know, consequences, uh, that I think could happen, but I could easily see a situation where, uh, you know, uh, Bucky in order to achieve this goal has to piss off the Wakandans and, uh, you know, uh, you know, his arm is Wakandan, um, you know, uh, would they demand it back or, uh, you know, uh, does this mean he can't go home again, you know, back to there? Uh, I, I think we have to, yeah, I think there, there's, there's, you know, we talked a lot about the, uh, the family side with Sam. I think, you know, to the extent that Bucky has a family anymore, it's probably the Wakandans because we saw, you know, the, the Wakandan kids with him and him as the white wolf uh, and all of that. So, yeah, I, I, I can't help but feel that there is something very significant of a price that Bucky's going to have to pay uh, in order to to do what he's doing. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, it was it was a great reveal. And it, you know, really sort of does tie the show into that larger mcu mythology because of course there can't you can't just get away with you know uh taking zemo out and there will be no consequences um and if if anyone's going to find them it's going to be the wakandans who have that level of tech and that level of of knowledge and expertise so it makes much more sense uh that they would be able they would be the ones to find them than anyone else so i thought it was a great reveal uh as i said you know it didn't take me completely by surprise once i realized you know what he found the beads were uh but i thought it was great and just in terms of cliffhanger that oh shit is about to go wrong, you know, in a very big way uh, coming forward. Because as much as, you know, Bucky was able to persuade Sam to go along with this, I don't see Io or the Dora Milaje uh, going, oh, yeah, you you want him out? That's fine. No, we're just going to kill him. Uh, so, yeah, that's definitely setting up a conflict. Totally. Totally. Loved seeing uh, Florence Kasumba. I love her as Io. Uh, part of me, uh, before I saw Ayo, I was like, are we going to see Okoye? Because that would have been a huge surprise. Uh, Ayo was a big surprise as well. So the fact that it was her was really awesome. And, and I think this will uh, give them the chance to maybe flesh out the character a little bit more. If, if we see a lot more of her, I, w- I would assume we're at least going to see her in the next episode. So um, we're going to have to wait and see. Professor... What you stated is something that I was wondering as I was watching this episode, because we are at the halfway point. The, this episode and the next episode, it, it's the middle arc of the series, and I was like, how are they going to clean everything up by the end of the series? And my only thing, the only thing that I can think of is that they need a second season. It was crazy because we talked about maybe a potential second season for WandaVision, and clearly that story has a beginning, middle, and end. Um, So that one will probably not get any type of second season, at least uh, nowhere near close to the iteration of of what we saw in, in, you know, this original run of WandaVision. Um, Loki has already been renewed for a second season, so we know that that is getting a second season. But nothing has been said about this series, and I do wonder if if there 
has been maybe a, a sort of um, a top secret sort of green light for a second season, but they haven't said because they're waiting for us to see the entire series. Uh, maybe us knowing that there's going to be a second season would ruin the ending or something. I don't know, but I feel like at this point, we need a second season. There's no way in hell they're going to be able to wrap everything up in three episodes. At least I don't think so. Like maybe they'll clean up the flag smashers and the super soldier serum, but there are other dangling threads. There's Sharon Carter and what she's doing. There's now this Wakandan storyline that they're just now introducing. There's, uh, you know, there's Bucky's, uh, uh, atonement for everything that he did as the winter soldier. There's Sam's, uh, you know, just um, uh, really struggling with the fact that, you know, is he going to be the next Captain America? There's Sam's family dynamic that we got a lot in the first episode, and we got a reminder of that in this episode, but are they going to do anything with that? I would assume the taking down of the power broker is going to happen when they end the Flag Smasher stuff. So I can see them ending you know, the the big bad type of things, but like everything else that they've introduced, I mean, we also have, we haven't mentioned him, but we will be talking about him in a moment. We have New Cap and uh, Battlestar. And, uh, you know, is he going, is that going to start, you know, a descent into, you know, maybe doing nefarious stuff? And is he going to be a villain? So they've introduced a lot of elements on the show. And part of me is like, how are they going to, wrap all this up in three episodes it just seems like so much to me yeah and there's the, there's all the isaiah bradley stuff yes you know, that there's that you know uh, introduce him just to have him appear in the one episode and then get a little callback there has to be more uh with isaiah bradley you know we, we speculate you know could we have flashbacks could we have a whole episode uh devoted to you know uh isaiah bradley's life you know there's there's a lot of stuff out there um i think Marvel has earned our trust that they can they can stick the landing. But yeah, I think probably there is a stealth plan for a second season uh, of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Because going into this, we sort of thought, oh, the, the whole thing's going to be at six episodes. You know, Sam's going to get the shield back and everything's going to be fine. Well, no, they've they've un uh, you know they've opened up a bunch of cans of other things that have to be dealt with. Um, and uh, I just don't see them being able to resolve everything satisfactorily in just the three episodes. There's just too many uh, things simmering that have to be dealt with. All the things that you mentioned are things that have to be dealt with. And, you know, you can't really deal with them until, you know, the finale for wrapping things up. So I, yeah, again, my suspicion is uh, that, you know, and again, maybe they're setting up some sort of, you know, uh, secret Avengers type thing where, where Sam and Bucky will be working for this covert organization that that is headed again, I'm speculating uh, by Sharon or something like that, or I don't know, but yeah, there's, there's just so many things that have been introduced over the first couple of episodes. And, and even in this episode, um, because you were mentioning, you know, taking on the, uh, the power broker while the power broker, you know, is going after the flag flag smashers. Um, so, you know, is it an enemy of my enemy is my friend, but, you know, uh, Bucky and the winter soldier, you know, are, are stuck between these, these, uh, these two, uh, these two forces. So I do feel that there's, there's a lot, but I mean, the show has been so good so far over the first three episodes that, you know, 
uh, my fondest wish is that they don't wrap everything up. So they think, oh, we better do another season of this or maybe a third season as well. I think there's there's a lot of stuff to be mined uh, in terms of the personal stuff you mentioned, you know, uh, Sam's family. You know, that was an, introduced as such an important element in that first uh, first episode. And you know, it's kind of been ignored since then. Um, there was a, you know, a really important line in, in this one, too, where where Bucky and Sam were talking in the second. I think it was the second plane ride. Uh, uh, yeah, because it was after they'd met Sharon. And Sam, you know, uh, you know, sort of reflecting what Zemo had said earlier about, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the symbols and putting all your faith in the symbols and forgetting the people uh, who were, uh, you know, uh, the, the reality behind that. Uh, and Sam saying, you know, maybe I shouldn't have given it to a museum. Maybe I should have destroyed it now, leaving aside how you destroy vibranium. Um, but Bucky, you know, making the argument, that, hey, you know, that shield saved a lot of lives and that shield meant a lot to a lot of people, including me. And, you know. I might want it for myself. And again, so this is the first time we're getting that sense of, you know, the what we thought might be a battle for the shield situation going on. So maybe they're going to get the shield back and then there'll be some conflict, you know, over, you know, who should wield it? You know, does Sam feel comfortable as a black Captain America? Um, you know, should they take it and, you know, take the uh, the flag and remove the uh, the red, white and blue symbol from it and and change it to something else? I think they're they're opening up a lot of possibilities and with only three episodes left. Um, uh, I'm hoping they don't try to resolve everything in this series. I think I would be very satisfied if some of these things uh, are things that they could go into in more depth in a coming series. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The conversation that they had on the plane, you know, as they were headed to uh, Lithuania was really important because, um, you know, I, I think we all sort of thought that by this point in the series, Sam was going to need to start coming around to the idea that he should be Cap, that uh, Steve picked him for a reason, that Steve saw in him the potential, the goodness uh, to be Captain America. And in this episode, he was like, no, like I should, uh, you know, in essence, I should have shredded it or something. And, you know, as as you said, and when I heard the line, I was like, he can't even do that. He doesn't even have super soldier serum in him. But, um, you know, I was like, wow, like he really doesn't want it. Bucky sort of saying that he would take it is, I would say a little bit of that is fan service for the fans out there that really wanted Bucky to also have the shield. Um, I don't know if we're going to get a battle for the shield. I hope not because Bucky really has been so pro Sam having the shield. So I think if Sam comes around to it, which I hope he does by the end of the series, uh, Bucky will be 100% supportive of that. It's just, how is he going to get to that point? Uh, we have three episodes left and if it really is, sort of a, a reckoning of dealing with like race and that sort of thing. And if it is, you know, him, you know, he's he sort of alluded to it. It's been sort of tiptoed around, but he hasn't really said that, you know, there, he has concerns about being a black man as Captain America. If that is the case, we need him to sort of start expressing that. Maybe some of that is dealing with the Isaiah Bradley story, but um, if we're going to deal with that, we, we need to deal with that. Like we have three episodes left. And um, I, I feel like we have a lot of stuff to do unless they get rid of the Flag Smashers in the next episode, which I mean, they could do that. They could completely neutralize the Flag Smashers in the next episode. Maybe the episode after that is dealing with the Power Broker. And then we'll have the final episode of sort of dealing with the aftermath. Um, but we need 
yeah, we, we need stuff to happen, and it feels like it, there are a lot of cards on the table, and uh, it just it, it, we're going to have to pick up some of the cards and have to deal with them in the next episode. Speaking of some of these cards... I also think in uh-huh. a contemporary sense, dealing with the idea of, of, of Sam as a black Captain America, that's something that you can't just introduce at the end of episode six and then not deal with it again. I think that's something that has to be unpacked over multiple episodes. So I think him accepting the shield and saying, you know, it, it's, it's got to be a different symbol now because it's a different world and, you know, bringing out the Isaiah Bradley uh, and then dealing with the real world consequences of, you know, uh, you know, uh, how Sam functions as a black Captain America uh, in this world, I think is, uh, is really, uh, you know, something that has to be, you know, uh, dealt with in depth. And I don't think that they should, you know, cheat on the story by trying to deal with it in a single episode. Absolutely. That's why I hope that there's a second season. Because if they do end the series that way, we will need, you know, a, a, I would say an entire series about that. Um, I also hope he takes the super soldier serum because I feel like he needs to have the super strength if he's going to be Captain America. Uh, does he take the super soldier serum in the comics when he takes over for Cap, Professor? Uh, I don't believe so because the super soldier serum is uh, is never effectively uh, reproduced. You know, generally speaking, the, you know any of the attempts to to recreate have always led to uh, to unfortunate side effects, as was you know famously the case with when John Walker took it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. On the one hand, uh, especially because you knew how have this uh, this new uh, super soldier serum that wouldn't require you know Anthony Mackie to get even more buff than he is. Um, I don't know. I mean, if, if he was to remain, you know, sort of if he was to be, you know, Captain America with wings, uh, maybe he doesn't need that because then he's got the shield and the wings. True. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I do agree that, you know, on the one hand, it's it's kind of nice, the idea that, you know, you've got, you know, you know, you sort of your symbol being someone who's not so powered. On the other hand, um, I think if he is going to be the first black Captain America, you can't have him being less than the original Captain America. So, yeah, it's 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 tricky, but yeah, I I don't know. I I really don't know where they're going with this. Yeah, same here. We're gonna have to wait and see. Um, yeah, my hope is that whether they have a second season or not, uh, they definitely need to have Anthony Mackie star. If by the end of this he's gonna be Captain America, he needs to have his own Captain America film series um, in addition to hopefully a second season. Uh, we can't have the first black Captain America and he's relegated to just a Disney plus television series. Like he's going to have to have his own film series and that sort of thing. Okay. Well, that said, what I'm loving about the, uh, the Disney plus is we're getting a lot more depth, um, you know, and going into like, what are we getting from this? We're getting like, you know, uh, a movie and a half to two movies, uh, worth of content. So like a Disney plus series, uh, you know, on Sam dealing with that, I think could go into a greater level of depth and, uh, and nuance than a single two hour movie could. I don't disagree with you. That's why I hope for a second season. But I think if we are going to have a, our, the very first black Captain America in the MCU, he needs to have a film series as well. You know, give him, you know, sort of the, the action-y type of stuff that we saw with the original Cap trilogy. Give him that on the big screen with the big, you know, the big, 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 big screen budget. Um, I think, you know, it's important for him to have his own film series as well. But I do agree with you. The Disney Plus series, have they've allowed, uh, you know, us to really get to know these characters on, on a much more intimate level, which has been really nice. 
But speaking of a character that maybe we don't want to get to know on an intimate level, let's talk about John Walker, the current Cap, and Battlestar. So we start off the episode with them raiding a, uh, it looks like it's like an internet cafe type of thing that we saw earlier in the series, you know, looking for Carly. Um, He has a moment of incredible white privilege where he's like, don't you know who I am? He gets spit in the face and he's like, yeah, I know. And I don't care, which was so good. I feel like that's the entire fandom that does not like this man. It was was the fandom speaking. But uh, we got a sort of like a glimmer, a taste, a glimpse of sort of like a dark side to Walker in this episode. Later on, when they learn that Zima has been broken out of prison, uh, they, he gets into a discussion with Battlestar of like, you know, do you think, uh, I think Battlestar was like, do you think they really helped break him out instead of the other? And Walker's like, well, you know, they didn't have any leads. So it makes the most sense. Um, and he, he's like, you know, we're going to have to follow up on this, but, you know, we're not going to be able to do this, you know, by the books. We're going to have to go and, like, basically like in some gray area and that sort of thing. And I was like, okay, is this sort of like a taste of Walker doing anything, you know, by any means necessary to get things done? Because he even throws in the line of, like, you know, what are they going to say? You know, they being, I'm assuming, the GRC. What are they going to say, you know, about how we do it as long as we get the results? Professor, is this the, is this John Walker? Much like Carly, you know, I, I know Priscilla and I sort of were like, eh, about John Walker in the previous podcast, but you did make a really good point, you know, that up to that point, he hadn't really done anything bad. You know, he was just new cap. And a lot of us were sort of reacting to New Cap, much like Sam and Bucky were. But could this be the episode, much like Carly, where they took a sympathetic character or character that that they introduced sympathetically, and uh, you know they're they're kind of taking them down a uh, bumpy path? Well, I think yes, and I think they're there. And again, the reason why I was so strong uh, last week about insisting that he did nothing wrong really in that episode was because you had to sort of set him up as being, you know, nothing wrong with him, you know, uh, aside from a little bit of dickishness. And now they're gradually ratcheting that up. You're getting a little more of, as you said, his you know white privilege, although it's more really more American privilege. Uh, the uh, you know, the do you know who I am? You know, his sort of Karen moment. I, I thought he had asked to speak to the manager next uh, was great. Uh, and again, he just has that sort of a sense of I wouldn't even say necessarily unearned privilege because he's obviously been very successful. He's been, you know, a soldier. He's put his life at risk for other people, et cetera. But, uh, you know, he's dealing with frustrations and he's not dealing with it in the best way. Uh, it's kind of interesting that, you know, again, last episode, both he and Battlestar were, you know, I would argue equal levels of dickishness in this episode. He's the one who's being more dickish and Battlestar is the one who is, you know, sort of pushing back on him. Wait a sec. What are you doing there? Um, I do find it interesting too. Like if your argument is that, uh, that this is, you know, in any way a heel turn, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, you know, not following orders in order to do what he thinks is the right thing. Well, isn't that what Falcon and the winter soldier are doing? Isn't that what Tony Stark always did? Isn't that what most of our Marvel heroes end up doing at one point or another? So again, I, I do agree that, you know, we are starting down the path. But I think it was important that the, you know, the characters set, you know, the writers last episode set him up as, you know, this clean cut, you know, uh, you know, uh, 
what's the phrase, white meat baby face, uh, to use a wrestling term, uh, in order for his heel turn to be that much more effective. And yes, I do think we got the first hint of the heel turn here. Uh, but as I said, you know, last episode, I think it's going to be a, a, a longer, darker arc for him. Uh, that will involve him shooting up with you know some of the remaining super soldier serum. Uh, and uh, as Erskine said, when Cap received it, if you're a good person, it makes you better. If you're a bad person, it makes you worse. And I think, you know, it's it's going to bring out. And again, the possibility, I don't think he'll be entirely unredeemable. But if your idea about the Thunderbolts is a reality, then certainly a super powered uh, John Walker is the sort of figure who could easily be uh, a member of the Thunderbolts. Interesting. Okay. Well, he'd have to go the full villainous route first and then repent. Uh, so we'll see if that happens. Um, yeah, I was wondering at the end of the previous episode, in my mind, I, I didn't say this during the podcast, but I was like, how are they going to completely turn him into a villain in a couple episodes if that's what they want to do? Because I, I feel like they have to make him uh, do something that's so irredeemable that he has to be stripped from the shield. Um, and yeah, like I feel like that's what's going to have to happen. It's not like that Sam is going to be like, hey, I, I want the shield back. It's going to have to be Sam wanting the shield back and uh, Walker doing something that is just so un-Captain America-like for him to get the shield taken away. Either that or he dies. But I don't know if they're going to kill him, you know? Yeah, I agree. And, like, you know, because, you know, the idea... And, it, again, I, I mentioned this last episode, or yeah, I think it was last episode, where I was talking about, you know, uh, the, the shield is not the government's to give. I mean, you know, Sam, Sam gave it up to the Smithsonian, and then the government just took it and gave it to John Walker. Uh, but this is not the shield from this world. This is a shield that was brought from another world uh, by Steve Rogers to give to Sam, um, you know, and, you know, is there a possibility we might get maybe, you know, cause we don't know that old cap is dead, you know, old Steve Rogers could still be out there somewhere and, and, you know, might show up to, to say something or perhaps to have, you know, a moment where, you know, he meets with Isaiah Bradley or something like that. Um, I've heard absolutely nothing to, to justify this, but I am thinking that, you know, there might be a, a way to bring that in um, for, I, I think Sam has to hear it from Steve, uh, you know, as to why he was chosen to be, uh, you know, the next Captain America, because Steve gave it to him for it to be, you know, for him to, to carry on in that role. And Sam didn't for reasons that, you know, have been hinted at, but very obliquely, we haven't really gotten Sam's justification for that. And given what Sam said in that, where maybe I should have just destroyed it, um, you know, I think he has to hear it or whether it's in a flashback form or something like that. But I think we, we need some sort of, you know, reason for, for, for Sam to step forward and, you know, take up the shield now. Because, you know, he gave it up. He has to have a reason for, for wanting to take it back, aside from the fact that the guy who currently has it is a bit of a dick. He's got reasons for doing that, but I think it has to be a little more. We have to have something to help him resolve, you know, the, the doubts that we're having. Because we've been seeing that, you know, the, uh, you, know, uh, you know, the challenge that he had as an Avenger trying to get alone. Uh, the challenge that he had as a black man walking down the street being stopped by the cops. Uh, the challenge about finding out about Isaiah Bradley. He's had all of these challenges to his belief in the symbol. Uh, in order for him to be an effective Captain America, he has to, you know, go through the crisis of conscience and realize that he wants it even with the baggage that it carries. And yeah, again, I just, I, I, it may be a little bit deus ex machina, but having, you know, Steve come back in some way 
to explain why he gave him the shield uh, might be a way of doing that and give him a reason for wanting to take it back from from John Walker and having Steve, you know, basically say, hey, look, it's it's not their shield to give. It was my shield to give and I gave it to you. Dude, if they brought back Chris Evans, the Internet will go crazy. Because that I would was be just thinking myself. This, this would be one of those ones where you have to watch that episode really early in the day. Yeah, because that one that would be a huge surprise if they did that. Um, I have heard that there are hu- there are some surprises. I don't know if we've seen any of them. Like I don't know if Io is a surprise. Like I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know if we've already seen any of the huge surprises. But I have read that there are some surprises, appearances, and that sort of thing coming. So, man, that would be slightly insane in a good way. Um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, and that would, they could do that without it leaking, basically, because usually they, it's like contracts and stuff are leaked when it's like, you know, they're coming back for a movie or that sort of thing. But for a little, you know, 30 second, well, maybe not 30 second, but like five minute scene on a Disney Plus series, I could see that not leaking. And that would be a huge, huge surprise. There were rumors of him returning a couple months ago, but all of that was kind of uh, squashed really quick by him, as well as Marvel. Um, Some people thought maybe we might see alternate versions of Steve, uh, you know, maybe in, I don't know, in, in whatever they're doing with multiverse and that sort of thing. Um, But yeah, uh, that would be hella interesting. So, Professor, did I miss anything? Uh, Was there anything that you wanted to reference before we head into the MVP? Uh, No, I think I'm good. Okay. I will give a shout-out to the music. Lots of really great music this episode. Fantastic. And we missed that in the first two episodes. We got that a lot in WandaVision. They would use, like, a song each episode. I don't really think we got music the first two episodes of uh, this series. Uh, So at least it was much more noticeable in this episode because they used a lot of uh, just, uh, well, I can't call it contemporary music, but just music in in general, which was uh, really interesting. And all of them were really great choices. So now it is time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again, so choose wisely. Priscilla has gone first. The professor has gone first. It is my turn to go first. And I'm giving it... Damn you. I know. I'm giving it to Emily Van Camp. I feel like your person is not going to be picked, but maybe I'm wrong. I'm going to give it to Emily Van Camp. Sharon Carter, she was fantastic, a great reintroduction to the character. The professor sort of added some additional layers uh, to her that uh, I can see and uh, gets me really excited about seeing her again. She had a badass fight sequence. She clearly is involved in something, which sounds hella intriguing and uh, it was just refreshing to see Emily Van Camp again and to catch up with uh, Sharon Carter. She was fantastic, and they used her perfectly in this episode. Professor, who's your MVP? Well, Sharon was my number two pick. My number one pick, of course, is Zemo. 
Uh, boy, uh, as I said, you know, you need that sort of charismatic, interesting villain. And again, you know, kind of getting back to, you know, the idea of Thanos, a villain whose motives you can understand. We talked about that with the Flag Smashers, you know, uh, you, you can understand their motives. Uh, you don't necessarily have to agree with them any more than you had to agree with Thanos. But to have someone who, you know, you 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 understand why they're doing what they're doing. And we certainly get that with Simo, why he's doing what he's doing. It makes perfect sense. Uh, and just, yeah, Daniel Bruhl, you know, it's, you know, Marvel. You know, I always wonder, you know, do they have to cast such really great actors in these roles? Could they get someone cheaper? Uh, but, you know, that's why you cast someone like him uh, in Zemo, even if you know, I'm sure in Civil War, they weren't thinking about a Disney Plus series because Disney Plus didn't exist back then. But when you've got a character who's that good and that interesting um, and having so much fun with it, you know, that dancing scene obviously has been, you know, gift endlessly across the Internet. But uh, just a really, really fun and, you know, uh, you know, giving us the, the background. And as I said, making him rich, giving them that that sort of story excuse for for jetting around the world uh, was tremendous. I thought Daniel Brühl was having tremendous fun and uh, and just really knocked it out of the park this episode. Yeah, I want to give Marvel props on how they've been treating their villains, especially in the, the second half of the MCU. A lot of the villains in the first half of the MCU, not all of them, but many of them were very one note and they were very, they were um they were not given layers to play with but but i would say the majority of the villains in particular in the second half of the MCU uh have just been incredibly complex multi-layered villains and and so you know sometimes you have to go through those growing pains you know you have to have you know uh I guess Thor the Dark World and some of the other ones uh, with, you know, more sort of like one note villains. Uh, it's, it's, you know, you have to go through those uh, bad villains to get to the really good ones. And I'm glad that they learned from their mistakes uh, because the villains that they've had recently have been really, really good. Uh, yeah. And, and props to all the actors that have been portraying them. So now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 Captain America shields? The point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional, delivering more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden cap shield. Uh, Professor? Uh, I'll give it nine and a half shields. You know, extremely satisfying, held up to a second viewing, was really, really good. It's just, as I mentioned, a couple of those little plot things that, you know, seemed a little too convenient, things that may be revealed, you know, uh, as I was talking about with, you know, uh, you know, uh, Carly stealing the uh, the serum. How exactly did that happen? Uh, you know, Sharon just showing up the uh, the second or third shooter uh, situation. Um, you know, uh, without the resolution of that, uh, I'm just left with those niggling questions of: Are these plot oversights, or are they, you know, teasing us for something to come later? Um, so I didn't find it quite as satisfying as as last week's episode. So I'm just uh, well, just going to give it nine and a half shields. Yes, Professor. We are actually of the same wavelength because I was going to give it a 9.5 as well uh, for pre pretty much all the same reasons. And at this point, I mean, it's a 9.5. You know, it's practically a 10. And the one thing above the 10 is the golden. So, I mean, it, it's just really down to the nitty and the gritty. And, uh, you know, there were just a couple little qualms that I had about it as well. It's still a very solid series overall. Uh, we're at the halfway point, and the journey has been spectacular. So a 9.5 is still very, very 
good. I feel like a lot of the other series that we review here on our network, uh, they they dream of a 9.5. So uh, on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Avengers Initiative, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Avengers Initiative, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night. Reset, restore, rebuild. Yes. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of The Avengers Initiative, Falcon and Winter Soldier every Tuesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio archives. Good night.